Hey, Peace Nicks. Today's guest is Harrison Jordan. You know, sometimes on this podcast, I get off subject. I get, you know, into things that are political, things that are not related to the drug war, or I'll have a guest on and we won't, you know, who wants to talk about psychedelics, but we end up talking about something else entirely. We never really get to the subject. But today's guest, Harrison Jordan, he is a psychedelic and cannabis lawyer from Toronto, Canada. And, um, Today's really what this podcast is about. You know, this is the peace on drugs. It doesn't get much more peace on drugs than what this conversation was about. So you're going to enjoy this one. I know I really enjoyed talking with Harrison. So let's go ahead and dive on in. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug drugs abuse. Drugs are menacing our society. Any thoughts on the drug problem? I had a great time doing drugs. So tonight, from our family to yours... From our home to yours, thank you for joining us. This is the Peace on Drugs. On drugs. All right. Well, Harrison, thank you for joining me on the Peace on Drugs podcast. Thanks for having me, Aaron. Sure. Where are you at right now? Pardon me? Where, where are you right now? Oh, yeah. I'm in Toronto, Canada. Toronto, Canada. There's a, bit of a, there's a bit of a heat wave going on here. I don't know if uh, it's happening where you're, where you're at, but... Uh, uh, the the heat is hot, I would say. <laughs> yeah. What what uh, what's the temperature there right now? Uh, it is about thirty degrees, but it probably feels closer to forty degrees. Oh yeah, I'm American. I don't even know. Let's do the math. That's Sorry. Yeah, it's eighty six Fahrenheit here. I see. That's pretty cool for right now. I'm in Florida, so we pretty oh, okay. much have a heat wave year round here. But it's ne- it never gets like like other country parts of the country will get in the hundreds. And we'll still be in the nineties, but it just, it's the humidity and just, it's hot. Yeah. It's uh, well, we'll, we'll see how, how we can tolerate it as a society as we have these warmer and warmer uh, summers. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, it's in our country, we have a lot of problems with the fires. They're running out of water in the West. Um, and instead of us using our engineering abilities to figure out how to get some of the water that's flooding the East, pumped to the west we just don't seem to care we're just like ah, oh, just... No. so i don't know yes yeah, it's, it's always... we, we have our fair share of the natural resources issues in canada as well yeah i'm actually reading a book right now um fi- finding the mother tree i think it's called but it's a canadian she was a logger and um but she was more of an environmentalist but she my family were all loggers and she was figuring out how to get the forest to grow and um it really it's really you know learning about the canadian logging industry a lot about that in a book but more so, it's just a fascinating book about how the forest works, um, how they figured out mm. how the trees feed one another, like a mother tree actually feeds her young through the mycelium in the ground. It's really fascinating stuff. That's really cool. Yeah. So um, so let's talk about, so you're a psychedelic and cannabis lawyer in Canada? Yes, I am. That is super, super cool. Um, so explain to me exactly, um, I, mean, I probably could take a guess as pretty much what you're doing is you're trying to help pass legislation to legalize some of these things? Uh, well, I assist uh, individuals and uh, companies that are part of the cannabis and psychedelics ecosystem in Canada. Um, and uh, my original focus was on cannabis. I focused a lot on setting up cannabis retail stores in Ontario. And now I've branched out into, um, into psychedelics. And uh, it's really interesting to see uh, the shift that's happening in uh, Canada with respect to uh, psychedelics uh, access. Mm-hmm. And so um, that, that's where my focus has been on. 
and um, every day is a different day. I wake up and it's a different sort of client that, that that's calling me. And, uh, you know, I feel blessed to, to be in this industry and uh, uh, and help promulgate uh, something that um, could be a viable treatment for many people for many conditions. That's that is great. Now, you yourself, were you um, into psychedelics before you got into this? Like, have you used them and stuff or is it just business for you? Uh, well, <laughs> that's a good question. I don't know how much I'm ready to, to say on a podcast, but I will say that uh, I have seen the, um, the, the effects of, of psychedelics on people and how it can uh, expand their, their spiritual journey as well as uh, trauma healing with respect to past traumas. Um, and it's, it's really eye-opening for me. Um, so I would say that, um, although I can't answer directly your question, um, I will say that it's it's something that that touches me and that uh, you know I I, I appreciate uh, seeing happen and I appreciate all these new documentaries that are coming out like the the one with Michael Pollan yeah and so it's definitely something that um, that that I I, I want to be a part of as opposed to focusing on tobacco or alcohol and I do I, I I am branching out into those areas as well but it doesn't feel as rejuvenating and as rewarding as uh, being in the cannabis and psychedelics industry when you know it can help so many people and you we, you know we're at the beginning of things here I completely agree with you and I do think like when you think about drugs like the fact the fact that we even have the term drug drugs that describes alcohol and tobacco and cannabis and lsd and cocaine like those are all completely different things and and my experience with psychedelics was um you know when i was young i remember thinking we need to just lace everything with lsd and everybody would trip and then the world would be peaceful and that's really a a, a naive thought i mean but when you're young you're like well i took it and it and without even knowing what it was going to be like i just thought it's another drug and i took it and immediately had a connection with nature a connection with life and i think it started me on a more spiritual path um and i was raised in the church and it's, and i never felt spirituality mm. growing up in church and then here i did the psychedelic and i it just happened but it doesn't happen that way for everybody and people that have you know, mental issues, bipolar, prone to schizophrenia, they, they can have life changing for the worst experiences. So they, that's why it needs to be careful. And how, let me ask you this, how much, of, like, how careful do you think the industry is trying to be to, to, to make sure it doesn't turn into something like the 60s? Because the government could immediately say, you know what, shutting it down. So you got to tread very lightly and be very careful. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I, I know, at least in Canada, the primary uh, health regulator is Health Canada. And they have a tight control on on psychedelics. Uh, we had a program called the ACMPR where patients could uh, access medical cannabis, and that was uh, that was basically um, a program where anyone could go to any doctor and have their um, have have a prescription. Uh, signed for uh, access to, to medical cannabis. Health Canada is, is it looks like they do not want to allow that to happen with psychedelics. And so they have a very constrained system. There's only really three ways you can obtain psychedelics in, in Canada. Uh, and they're all uh, as uh, for medical use and not uh, spiritual or recreational use. Um, number one, there's the uh, section 56 exemption process. So there's a section in the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act. Uh, 
which is our uh, drug law in, in Canada. Uh, and it allows uh, patients uh, and their doctors to apply for an exemption from certain uh, drug laws. So there have been a number of patients and their doctors who have applied for exemptions. And that means that the, the patient um, and sometimes the doctor uh, is exempt from laws with respect to whatever substance it is. So if it's psilocybin, then it means effectively the person cannot be charged for possessing uh, psilocybin for their own, for their own use. Uh, the second way of access is through what's called uh, a special access program. So this is a program where generally um, it's, it's similar to the uh, right to try um, uh, regime program that's available in the U.S., where if there is, uh, if someone is facing a debilitating uh, condition um, and it's either an emer emergency or they've tried all, uh, they've exhausted other reasonable options, um, they can, they and their, their doctor can apply uh, for, for a special uh, access to the medication. That medication before recently has been uh, non limited to non-psychedelic um, medications, but recently uh, Health Canada expanded it so that it applies to restricted drugs. Restricted drugs under the Food and Drugs Act um, include a wide range of, of psychedelics. And so now, at least theoretically, um, patients can uh, apply through their doctor for this special access program. Um, and Health Canada has already put together uh, class-wide exemptions, basically saying that uh, for doctors um, and psychotherapists who possess the psilocybin or MDMA, those are the two drugs in the, in the class exemption, if they possess that for the purpose of administering it uh, to uh, their patient, uh, that is permissible. One thing that's interesting under the special access program, though, is that patients themselves cannot um, cannot access uh, cannot cannot uh, possess uh, the substance. It has to be actually administered by a doctor. So it has to be physically administered by a doctor or or a nurse or psychotherapist, uh, and it has to be administered uh, obviously in their presence. And so the uh, the patient cannot take the, the substance home with them, even though, you know, we've seen that there's a lot of self-discovery that people have with, with psychedelics, and it's not always done in the confines of the four walls of a, of a therapist's uh, a room, although we know that, that, that therapy can be an important part of this. So that, that's an interesting perspective and um, an, an interesting uh, thin quirk of the special access program. And the third way of accessing uh, uh, psychedelics in Canada is through clinical trials. And so there are a number of clinical trials right now uh, that are investigating uh, psilocybin uh, and other restricted drugs that are, that are psychedelics. And so through these clinical trials, uh, patients can get access to, uh, to these substances in the bounds of the clinical trial. What I find interesting is that both in clinical trials and the special access program, the, the, at least when it comes to psilocybin, patients are limited to uh, the ac actual psilocybin. Uh, they cannot obtain um, magic mushrooms, the actual 
fruit and fungi. Right, right. Um, whereas with the Section 56 application process, uh, you're exempt from the law when it comes to simple possession of uh, when it comes to simple possession of psilocybin. So how that's obtained is is when it comes to those ex- exemptions, it doesn't frankly matter. However, when the special access program was broadened to now include these restricted drugs that are uh, traditional psycho uh, psychedelic drugs, DMT, um, psilocybin, MDMA, um, Health Canada uh, closed the door on Section 56 exemptions. They said, look, unless it's a very extraordinary uh, circumstance, they're not going to approve Section 56 exemptions. And what's interesting is that in Canada, I don't know if this is uh, if this has happened in, in the states in the U.S., particularly with Oregon, but uh, basically, um, at least prior to the special access program, uh, doctors and therapists themselves were applying to uh, were, were applying for Section 56 exemptions for themselves to ingest. Uh, the psilocybin or the MDMA as part of a, a training program so that they could be trained based on, um, uh, on, on their understanding, their full understanding of what this, what these substances are all about. Mm-hmm. And right now there's, there's a, a case that's uh, winding its way uh, through the court system, or at least uh, for right now, uh, there's a challenge on behalf of, of uh, doctors challenging um, the fact that Health Canada has said, no, we're going to refuse Section 56 applications, particularly for doctors and, and therapists. And it's an interesting case because we have uh, Section 7, which is a, a, a very important right in, in Canada. And uh, it's, a, it's a fundamental justice right. Um, Section 7, I'll pull it up so that I have, have it correctly. Everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security of the person, and the right not to be deprived thereof, except in accordance with the principles of fundamental justice. And um, what that basically means, or how that's being construed uh, in the medical context, uh, medical cannabis context in the courts, is that patients have a Section 7 right to medical cannabis, uh, particularly so when uh, it's particularly evident when other uh, medicines that have been tried are not effective for these these individuals. So courts have consistently uh, ruled that medical cannabis patients need reasonable access to medical cannabis. Um, There will likely be a case when it comes to patients who use psilocybin, uh, because it's, it's one of those things where, um, where, where certain people say, you know, uh, no medication work except for the psilocybin or except for MDMA or some other, uh, what, what, what is called a restricted drug. Uh, but what's fascinating here is that there's a Section 7 claim being made on behalf of doctors and therapists uh, saying that because everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security of the person, they should be able to uh, uh, experience um, the the effects of these substances before prescribing it. It's definitely going to be a harder argument than it than it is uh, showing up to court and saying, "Look, this this is a patient that's dying that found immense relief. You know, if they had a fear of death or if they had crippling depression, um, 
it, it, it's different. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. I, I do think that physicians should have the ability to uh, uh, to consume these substances as part of a, a, a therapy program where they're learning the rigors of the substance and and the experiences that it can uh, that it can cause because they're just so unique. Yeah, and I I wonder why it's so important for these for government to um like why they're so what are they so scared of like what would like this we know for a fact these psychedelic drugs they don't have um lasting effects psilocybin there's no like down the road effects there's no uh physical effects you can't overdose and die and it would take an extreme amount and it's just a, a four four to six hour experience and what is the government so scared of letting a physician take this substance that they're going to give to their patients i don't understand yeah you know you see those those classic charts online of the the severity of harms of different substances. And by some respects, there, in some uh, measurement, there are certainly psychedelics that those measurements would say are less harmful than even cannabis. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it does, it does uh, pique your curiosity as to why um, the government hasn't acted faster on this. But I, I think it has to do with with the political pressure. In, in Canada, we have a, a right-leaning party, at least federally called the Conservative Party. We have the Liberal Party, which is sort of occupying the middle and they're in power. Uh, and we also have a, a NDP party, New Democratic Party, which is on the left. And uh, basically the NDP has been uh, fighting for, or at least members of the NDP have introduced legislation that would fully remove simple possession from the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act. So possession for the purpose of trafficking or trafficking itself would still be an offense. However, simple possession would not be an offense. And uh, the Liberal Party seems to be going right up to the line without uh, and doing everything but removing simple possession. So, for example, cities across Canada have applied to Health Canada for city by city exemptions that would exempt everyone in the city from the simple possession laws. And as you probably heard recently, Vancouver uh, obtained an exemption for a small amount of uh, certain substances uh, that, that could be possessed by individuals starting soon uh, without garnering uh, a criminal charge. Uh, the same thing is happening in cities all across uh, Canada and, and the largest cities as well. On top of that, um, I believe in the last year or so, uh, the, the guidebook for prosecutors has, has basically been modified to, uh, to direct the prosecutors uh, not to prosecute um, individuals for simple possession unless there's really an aggravating factor. You know, it involved the youth right. or uh, it, 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 the possession was on a school property, some other aggravating factor. And then on top of that, the liberals themselves have introduced legislation that would uh, basically uh, enshrine uh, the uh, requirement for prosecutors to, uh, to consider uh, measures other than criminal charges, except when aggravated factors are present. So with all those things and all those efforts that the Liberal Party is making, you know, Occam's, Occam's razor would suggest, why don't they just go with the NDP plan, which says we'll just remove simple possession from the CDSA for all for all substances. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, I, I think the government 
um, the, the liberal government understands um, that there's a certain uh, problem with, with certain uh, drugs that are causing overdoses and deaths, um, and that's the opioids and, and crack, the heroin that's laced with fentanyl. Um, yeah. And so there's lots of fentanyl going around. But that's that's all because of prohibition, though. If they would legalize it, it give, give a safe supply, to even supplying heroin to heroin addicts would save so many lives. Oh, oh, 100%. I mean, you, you see, you watch documentaries of, uh, of how they're doing it in some European countries, and it really boggles the mind. You know, we know that safe injection sites uh, help help people, um, you know, even even if, you take a very simplistic, conceited viewpoint of, oh, I don't want to be, um, I, I don't, I don't want to let drug users continue using drugs. Well, you're you're actually um, ensuring, helping ensure the safe injection sites are helping ensure that uh, healthcare costs are going down. For example, when it comes to uh, HIV, because that can be a big burden on on the healthcare system, mm-hmm. um, and and so it's uh, it, you know I'm I'm proud to live in Canada where we've pushed these advances, uh, but on the other hand, uh, the U.S. and certain states has uh, pushed forth, um, especially in Oregon, when it comes to the the psychedelics. And, um, you know, hopefully that'll that'll help push us in the right direction here in Canada. Yeah. And Oregon decriminalized all drugs. And that's basically what you're talking about. If you remove simple possession, it's basically decriminalizing is what you're talking about. Right. It's where you can have a personal amount of drugs on you, not be arrested, but it's still not legal to buy. You can't go to a store and get any of these drugs, but you just, and that, that makes sense to me, like on a fundamental level, nobody should be arrested for a personal amount. You know, we have the W uh, NBA star, uh, Brittany, uh, what's her name, Brittany Griner or whatever? Yeah, Griner. Yeah. yeah, she's uh, and she's locked up for simple possession, and it's it's yeah, so tragic. I mean, and people are saying that yeah. you know Biden should do something about it. But my thing is, is well, her home state, Texas, has 160 something people serving life sentences for simple possession. So mm. you can't sit there and say, well, Russia needs to get, get this fixed when we haven't even fixed it ourselves. We have people in prison serving life sentences for cannabis possession. Like we need to, you know. Yeah, I I think it's um, I think you know Joe Biden has really been. Um, really not the best when it comes to cannabis policy because you don't really know where he stands. I mean, he's released these statements saying no one should go to jail for cannabis use. Well, duh. I mean, who's saying otherwise? Um, And, and, you know, he he put out statements in the past saying he supports expungements but doesn't support legalization, which kind of seems backwards to me. I mean, expungements of, of past criminal records could be seen as uh, a more progressive issue than legalizing it going forward. So mm-hmm. he has this really um, interesting take on cannabis, and he hasn't pushed. He hasn't pushed for it. Um, well, his, and, vice, and, his, his vice president said in the um, in the debate, she said that they were going to um, decrim- remove cannabis from the schedule, right. and they were going to um, expunge records. And that's the last you heard about it. They just right. And of course, they can always say, well, we were busy with other stuff. You can right. say that all you want, but the reality is you could do something about this. And then the question is, well, what's motivating you not to do that? And there is a huge problem in our country with law enforcement and prison, com- the industrial prison complex mm-hmm. that is that needs prisoners. They need prisoners. They need people to arrest. These All these jobs and careers depend on arresting people for cannabis because there's not enough violent criminals for, for these careers to, to happen. So, and I just right. wonder- 
it's it's and it's a scary thought that we actually need to, to be locking people in cages for uh, financial purposes. Yeah, um, and you know, if you're look, I'm not going to be here to defend uh, a fentanyl trafficker, but if you're found possessing fentanyl of any amount for um, for the, the purpose of trafficking, uh, you're likely going to go to jail for a while in Canada. And so we're not that we're not that uh, different in terms of locking people up for drug offenses. And, and I, I want to come back to this issue of removing simple possession from from the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act. I think that the Liberal Party, the Federal Liberal Party, thinks that there'll be some sort of blowback, that there'll be ads that the Conservatives launch. I mean, the NDP's to the left of them, so the NDP says let's be as progressive as possible, whereas the Conservative Party, uh, the Liberals feel will, will fear will use it as a wedge issue and say, look at this, they're, you know, they have nothing better to do, so they're, they're liberalizing access to drugs. Um, where, and, and in fact, we did have those sorts of ads a, a number of years ago when, uh, when Stephen Harper was leader of the Conservative Party. But my thinking on this is the offense of trafficking and possession for the purpose of trafficking would still exist for better or for worse. Obviously, you know, we, we can agree, disagree about whether it's enough to uh, just remove it for simple possession, but we know that we can all agree that it's a start. And when it comes to trafficking, uh, there's something called indicia of trafficking. Those are the clues of trafficking. Uh, that could include uh, someone possessing tons of uh, empty dime bags. It could be a pill press. It could be a debt list. It could be um, it, it could be weights that are typically used to weigh, weigh substances. So these indicia would still appear in these cases. Um, if we even if we just decriminalize simple, simple possession, like the, the people that are that are that are that are trafficking or possessing for the purpose of trafficking, we're still going to be able to see that we're still going to be able to see this indicia. I mean, is is, is it going to make uh, prosecutors and, and police's job a bit a bit harder? Certainly. Uh, but uh, there's almost always indicia of trafficking when someone is arrested for trafficking or possession for, for the purpose of trafficking if they're not caught in the act then they're caught possessing the, the 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 substance for the purpose of trafficking and there is indicia right there um so it's 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 tough to see that the liberal party doesn't want to go that far especially when they've introduced all these uh, all these measures these half measures that are better than nothing um but Occam's razor, they just can't accept the NDP pr proposal to remove simple possession from, from the CDSA. And, and the last thing I want to say about that is, is you touched upon safe supply, which is very important. The NDP bill um, introduces the concept of, of uh, at least exploring safe supply. So it says that the government needs to start exploring options for safe supply. It doesn't mandate any specific system for safe supply. Uh, but we know for, for opioids um, and the other drugs I mentioned, uh, it, it would sure save a hell of a lot of lives. It definitely would. And I know there is a Canada is a little bit better than the U.S. at, at safe supply. I mean, they have they have a little bit more programs. I believe it's hydromorphone 
that they're prescribing, but it's hard to get in the program. There's, oh, it's very, it's very restricted, but we have none of that here. But the people mm. that are in this program, it's a uh, Demerol, I think is the, is the brand name. And the people that are getting Demerol, which is, I still think heroin might be better, but Demerol works way better than methadone. The people mm. are able to get their drugs and people that have a safe supply of the, of whether it's heroin or Demerol, they, they're able to live very productive and happy, healthy lives. The reason the heroin addict, it, look, it looks like it's such a horrible existence is because on the streets, when you're on, when you're buying your drugs in the streets, you're paying an extreme amount of money for something. You don't know what you're, get, you're getting. You could get fentanyl. You could die. Where are you getting your needles from? There's all these other questions around it. And that's, so when people think that if we legalize heroin, everyone's going to look like they do, like the homeless people aren't heroin. No, actually we'll have less homeless people. And if you think about like uh, what happened in uh, Baltimore, was Baltimore, you know, during COVID, they stopped arresting. It was supposed to be temporary. We'll stop arresting for simple possession and even simple drug dealing. If it's small time, we're not mm. going to arrest for it because we don't want to have people in jails because of COVID. So they stopped arresting. They thought crime was going to go up. Crime went down. And mm. so after COVID was done, they said, well, we're not, the DA, the DA in Baltimore said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to keep this policy going. We're done arresting people for drugs, for mm. small time drug offenses. And that's, that's because when you look at the actual data, and that's, I guess this is the problem we're talking about though. Politically, data doesn't matter. If you're a liberal party and you legalize or decriminalize drugs, then the conservatives, they just run ads that say, look at this person. They're trying to get all your kids hooked on drugs. And then it freaks right. out the conservatives and no one's actually going to listen to the facts when you say actually it's more dangerous for your children to live in a world of prohibition they risk arrest they risk dying from a, a, a adulterated product with fentanyl there's all these risks for your children that make it worse but when i wrote my my senator uh, marco rubio he responded with it's and it's always about the children we can't legalize uh cannabis because right. it gives the wrong message to the children it's like all right well for one i don't have children and two, why, why should I? Why should I risk? Because you have children, I have to risk getting arrested for choosing cannabis. Right. And it's like this is this is absolutely stupid. Also, when your children come of age, because I was I lived in an age when when there was no legal cannabis at all in the '90s, and I was able to buy it anytime I wanted it. There was other drugs offered to me by the drug dealers because they were selling whatever they could. So I was offered Xanax and pain pills and everything else. And yeah. um, and who knows what drugs I was getting, what, what what the cannabis I was getting that was coming from Mexico, who knows what chemicals were sprayed on it, pesticides. It was all adulterated stuff. And I got arrested and I have a permanent criminal record to stop me from employment. So you can't tell me that the prohibition has been good for me. And it has yeah. and it's not, not going to be good for children now. It's not good. We have to open our eyes to this and realize that it's really messed up the way we're, what we're doing. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that, and it's uh, you know for better or worse, we're 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 doing some things in Canada right, um, and there are some states uh, down in the states that are doing some things right, but I think generally we're moving in the right direction. I don't think we're moving backwards. It might take you know uh, the next uh, president, and I was going to say democ democratic president, but it it could sure could be a Republican. Um, uh, especially if it's someone that has uh, libertarian leanings. Um, mm. So whoever the next president is uh, might be able to usher, uh, pr produce more efforts to usher it in rather than what we're seeing with Biden now. I agree. And the, the problem is like, so I, I would, I'd love to see a libertarian actually win, but that's not really possible. But also I'm not really a libertarian. Libertarians do support privatized mm. prisons and stuff like that. But mm. the problem is, is the democratic party, 
that I, where my views would mostly lie, they I feel like they're corrupted. They're they're not who they say they are. If you look at Clinton's policies, they were way more conservative than any Democrat should have been. They were horrible for the poor working class people. Um, so I don't think that we, the DNC really stands up for the people like they should. So therefore, I'd be happily, I'd happy vote for a libertarian. And like you said, it could be a Republican. And I also, I have no problem voting for a Republican if I like what they stand for, even though mo- most of their, their conservative issues, the problem I have is their Christian moralities that they seem to want to push on mm-hmm. everybody. And that's what we're seeing right now with our Supreme Court. They just reversed Roe versus Wade. Now they might be going after gay marriage. And I mean, it bothers me to the core that, you know, because me and my family, they're very religious and they are, they're anti-gay marriage. And the thing is, but they're not gay. And it's like, so, so what do you, what do you care? How does this yeah. affect you <laughs> at all? And yeah. they will be happy if it gets overturned. But I'm like, could you imagine if your marriage was at risk of not being anymore? You're just not married anymore because right. of a law. Like that's fucked up. Yeah. And so that's why I have a problem with the Republican party, but that does not to say, like you said, if a more libertarian, libertarian leaning Republican came in who wasn't against the gay marriage and abortion, which by the way, Donald Trump, I don't think gives a shit. He has no problem with gay marriage. I don't think he has a problem with abortions. Mm. He's just leaning into his base. They love him. So he's going to do whatever. Right. And he's going to put whoever in power who is going to make these changes. Absolutely. And that's what happened. So, yeah, it's, um, it's, uh, it's a very interesting system. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll leave, we'll leave it for another day, but I think lobbying probably has something uh, to mm. do with it. And, and, uh, the amount of lobbying and uh, related activities that that are permitted and super PACs. And so that, that's a discussion for another time. But uh, it's, uh, you know, hopefully we're 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 moving in the right direction when it comes to um, allowing people to be themselves and do what they're doing as long as it's not harming others. You that's know, it. I I. I I actually stopped consuming cannabis and you'd think, you know, wouldn't it be easier to stop? Wouldn't, aren't you most likely to stop consuming it when it's illegal, when it's out of sight, out of mind. But I think normalization in, in a sense brings it out. Um, it brings out um, honest conversations that we, we can have. And I think it allows for reflection that look, just because it's, legal doesn't mean it's going to be particularly uh good for me you know alcohol is is uh legal and and if you drink it all day every day uh you're going to have negative effects and i don't want i don't want to compare cannabis to that but i i think that um i think it's it's no um i think it's no coincidence that we're seeing in certain jurisdictions that decriminalize or legalize these substances that use rates go down. It becomes less of a forbidden fruit for youth and it becomes something that that people can talk more openly about. Yeah, you're right. And the forbidden fruit thing is, it's very powerful in our minds because if you think about a drug, it's like a bad thing. It's, it's on the streets. There's a whole culture around it. If you thought about it, just like a drug, like the pharmacy, like you went to the store and you got your, your heroin. And that's what we saw happen in Switzerland. Switzerland has a huge rate of people getting off of heroin. Not everybody will. Some people will be on it for the rest of their lives, but a majority of them, once they get their lives together and they're not, their lives aren't falling apart, then they're like, all right, well, now that this is together, let me stop having to go to this clinic and let me slowly wean off of the heroin. And when people, cause that's the thing, if somebody's life is destroyed and they're on the streets using drugs, it's hard to get sober when, when you're in that place. So yeah. 
I think that's that's the whole thing. But I am excited about the legal or as we're seeing the tides turn on on psychedelics because I mean psychedelics there's not shouldn't be much of an argument for for um, not having legal access. You can do it safe way. It doesn't have to be like all right, here's a bunch of uh, hits of LSD. Go to the concert with, even though I would like to, it to right. be that way. But um, but no, are, are you guys? Uh, do you have ketamine clinics up there? Are they doing that too? Uh, we do. We do have ketamine clinics. So yeah, ketamine in Canada is regulated as a controlled drug. So uh, um, it is not considered a um, restricted drug. And basically, uh, because it's been used as as an anesthetic uh, in the past, it's now being um, used as a um, for, for for treatment of depression and anxiety and those sorts of things. So it's being used off label, you could say. And I, I believe the situation is similar in, in the US. Yeah. I don't think we have certainly the, um, the breadth of ketamine clinics and the sheer number of them that are in the United States. And I think a lot of the ones in Canada, at least, uh, they use uh, sublingual uh, lozenges as opposed to intravenous. Mm. Um, but, uh, we definitely have them in, in Canada and it's, uh, it's, uh, definitely something that's helped people. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard they've helped people here too. I was debating on trying it myself, but, um, it's, it's like $4,000 insurance won't pay for any of it. So I decided it was too expensive, but, um, and I, and I hate that because, you know, some people that could really benefit from it, there's no way they could afford $4,000, especially people that's lives are messed up because of their depression. And so it's like a catch 22, you know, you, if I could get better, I could make the money to afford the treatment, but, but hopefully. We'll Absolutely. See and, and, I, and I'm sure if you look at it long-term, it's, uh, there are less costs to the healthcare system by getting people the, the treatment that they deserve and that uh, can make a lasting impact. Yeah, I, I know. And, and that's, uh, no, we have a, a huge problem with our healthcare here and the debates never ending. Our country spends more money. Our government spends more money on healthcare than most countries. And we don't even have socialized medicine. And now I, I don't know how it's going to affect, uh, but Amazon's making a, a dip into the into the world of health insurance. So, and I could see them monopolizing it. They're kind of taking over everything. So I don't know. Well, they're, they're also in favor of legalizing cannabis. So hopefully if they do take over healthcare, they'll integrate some cannabis into it. That'd be great. And then if I could just order my cannabis on the Amazon app. Oh, nice. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, wouldn't that be something? It would, except for it would put out uh, a lot of the small businesses. That's the problem I have. And then you see Amazon advertising, like I'm a small business owner and I sell on Amazon and it helped my business. So they're trying to appeal to people like me who have a problem with them destroying small businesses. Like, I don't, I don't know. What are you going to do though? You're not going to stop a beast like that. Once you've created this monster, it's going to keep going. So hopefully, yeah, hopefully. Yeah, and, and particularly with the pandemic, there's, there's been a lot of online uh, ordering on Amazon up here in Canada. It's really taken hold. Oh yeah, that, that, but, but, I, but I do think I do think that if Amazon Prime was expanded to to cover delivery for cannabis, uh, there would be a lot more people who subscribe to Amazon Prime. <laughs> I would be one of them. I don't. I'm not a subscriber, but I would. But um, yeah. So well, it was. Listen, it was great talking to you. I won't keep much longer. I just wanted to say, is there anything else you wanted to? Uh, talk about before before we wrap it up uh well i, I just like to say that it was, it was great chatting with you and hopefully i've imparted a bit about uh the canadian um experience when it comes to uh, regulation of psychedelics 
and we're a friendly country. So everyone come, come on up to Canada. I'm not saying you're going to get access to psychedelics here We're we're not there yet, <laughs> but um, it's, uh, it's, you know, I feel blessed to live in this country, you know, not everywhere. Um, every, every place has their, has their, you know, skeletons in the closet and we're not there yet when it comes to uh, safe supply. But, um, you know, I feel, I wake up every day feeling grateful to live in this country and not have to go uh, face uh, prison for years upon years, like Brittany Griner, if I were to happen to possess uh, cannabis, right? Mm -hmm. So I really do appreciate uh, 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 my time with you, Aaron. It's been great. Yeah, thank you so much for, for joining me on the podcast. It was really great talking with you. And um, yeah, I'll tell you what, I'll reach out if I ever do come up to Toronto because that's definitely oh, a yeah, city I want to come visit. <laughs> oh, sure. please do. Yeah. All right. Well, it was great talking to you and great meeting you. Take care. All right. Peace out. All right. Peace, Nicks. Hope you enjoyed that one. If you are enjoying what we're doing, go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating. Make sure you follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the Peace on Drugs Podcast. And go to www.thepeaceondrugs.com slash subscribe to subscribe to our newsletter. Here's Twiggy Branches. Peace out. You pay for what you get. You pay for what you get.
Yeah.